Brother Carl, would you pray before Brother Aaron comes, please? Amen. Thank you, Brother Carl. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. And um, as we wrap up this wonderful message, uh, uh, the series uh, from the book of Galatians, uh, a, one of my favorite uh, letters in the New Testament, talking about grace. And the reality is, and friend, we've mentioned it before we better never ever get over the grace that God has given to us and we must never fail to realize without God's grace we would be in big big trouble Uh, and that it's God's grace that keeps us it's God's grace that saves us Uh, and Jed as we're going to talk today we have a part to play in that We can't make ourselves worthy of God's love. We can't make ourselves holy. But when God has saved us and he's living inside of us, guess what happens? He works in us and the natural result is our life is changed. Not because we're so deserving, but because of God's grace. And so we've talked all, all month as we've gone through the series of uh, talking through the letter of Galatians. It is by grace. And, but grace, and I'm so thankful for that. I hope you are uh, as well. Um, and so as we wrap up, Paul says, listen, it's grace. But if you've gotten the grace, there's some things you've got to do. And so that's why I've titled this morning's message, It's On You, Bro. Uh, he's, Paul's going to tell us, hey, listen, yeah, God has saved you. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and is working, but you've got to learn to cooperate with God. And listen and obey what he's telling you to do. And there's some things that regardless of where you are or who you are, God wants you to do. So let's take a look at these 18 verses, see what those things are. So verse 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one of you examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will the, 
of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I have written to you in my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. For now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So Paul's here reminding us of some very important lessons that as we wrap up our look at this letter and we understand what God's grace is, that it's not a license to do whatever we want to do. We can't say, well, I'm under grace, preacher. I can do what I want, and I'll just ask forgiveness for it. That's the wrong attitude, and we've probably not been receiving of God's grace if that's our attitude. Or certainly not where we ought to be if that's our attitude. But when we think of God's grace, the fact that, and you can think of this acronym of, of grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a good way to look at it. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. He took my sin debt and your sin debt and the sin debt of all the world that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. That if anyone, no matter who they are, calls on the name of Jesus and asks for salvation, he will save them. He will redeem them. And so Paul reminds us of what Christ did. And the first point that I want us to see is it is because of what Christ did that we can be recipients of grace. It was God's grace that sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross of Calvary for my sin and for your sin. It is by God's grace that not only did God save us, but that he makes us a new creation. The reality is that the law, the only thing the law can do is show us we can't keep it. The law, Paul says, is not a bad thing. It's necessary. The law reveals to us God's expectations. The law that we find in God's word is what God said. Listen, these are the things that are right. And you know, these are the things that God says you ought to do. These are the things God said you shouldn't do. 
And when Jesus came on the cross and the New Testament era became into existence, it didn't, God didn't change his mind about what was right and wrong. But Christ did something none of us could do. You see, whether we're circumcised or uncircumcised, and that's what these troublemakers in the church were saying. They said, yeah, you can be saved, Gentiles, but if you want to be saved, you have to be circumcised like the Jews. And if you're not willing to be circumcised, then you're really not saved. You really aren't a person of God. Well, that's not what Paul was teaching. That's not what even Jesus taught. It is by faith, nothing of works, the only thing circumcision was ever able to do was to show that there were people that were set apart by God. Paul points out here in Galatians chapter 6, not even those that were circumcised kept, could keep the law. He said circumcision or uncircumcision can do you absolutely no good. But the only hope any of us have is new life in yourself. That's not what he said. New life in a church? That's not what he said either. He said new life in Christ. And that's what makes all the difference. And that's when we fully understand what grace is. It's nothing we can do ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't work hard enough. We can't give enough thing is God doesn't ask us to the only thing God asks us to do is accept it because Jesus Christ has already finished the work he shed his innocent blood to pay the sin debt for all mankind and then was buried and in just a few weeks we're going to remember that and celebrate that because though he went into the ground on Friday Sunday morning came he wasn't dead no more sorry if I ruined the ending of the story for you Easter came, Jesus was alive, and Jesus still is alive today. And so Paul reminds us that, hey, listen, it is not what you do. And so do not let anyone tell you, well, if you really want to be a Christian, you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do Listen, are there some things that you as, as Christians should do? Yes, there are. And there's things as God's people that we shouldn't do. But we are not made and we are not kept by those things. We're kept by faith. Just as we were saved by faith. And Paul tells us in his next letter, the letter of Ephesians in chapter 2, he said, you're saved by faith. And he says there, he says, even that's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. So understand God loves you. God knows all the good, the bad, and the ugly of you, and he still loves you. And he still wants you. And that's good news for all of us. It's good news for everyone because Jesus said, Hey, listen, friend, anyone, can receive it for Jesus died for the whole world, not just a few select folks, but
but for everyone. Scripture over and over and over again affirms that. So remember what Christ did. It's what He did that we're able to be recipients of grace. But then the second point is this, that when we receive that grace, when we receive it, we have to share it. And so Paul says, secondly, when we receive it, we must share it. So he ends this last chapter with some instructions. He said, brothers, in other words, Christians, fellow believers, those of you who are spiritual, are supposed to restore those that are overtaken by sin. And so you're not to judge, you're not to condemn. There's only one that can condemn and convict, and it ain't you. It's God himself, and he does that through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He says, when we see a brother in Christ that struggling with sin, whatever it is. We're to go to him and we're to rescue him. Far too often, I'm afraid, though, brothers and sisters, we're guilty of shooting our own wounded. And instead of restoring them, like Paul instructs, we kick them. And we smack them. And we bad talk them. How on earth is that grace? It's not. But God's word says on numerous occasions, especially through Galatians, if you've received grace, you better give grace. Friend, I know I'm not perfect. I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not perfect. I'll also tell you, you're not perfect either. Now, I don't know everything about you, but I know enough to know you ain't perfect. None of us are. And the thing is, God doesn't expect us to be. But what he does expect us to be is changed. And when we're changed, God is continuously working to make us into the image of Jesus Christ. So that we look more and more and more like him. And then when we stand in eternity before the throne of glory... He doesn't have to check the book of life because he can look at us. Say, yeah, I see my son and her. I see my son and him. They belong here. And so he says, restore in a spirit of gentleness, of compassion, of concern. That's it. We are, we're not called to condemn folk. Jesus said, you know, look at people's fruits. But the only reason we look at fruit is to know the good and the bad fruit and not eat the bad fruit. So if we see a brother or sister that's got some bad fruit, we need to go and we need to help prune that bad fruit away. And we all know that, you know, the old saying, one bad apple spoils the bunch. So one apple starts turning bad, guess what happens to the other apples around it? it? They start going bad too. So he says restore, not kill, not bad mouth, 
not ostracized, restore. In other words, exercise grace to those that need it. Because friends, you better remember, and I better remember, we may not be the one that needs that kind of grace today, but we might very well be the one that needs it tomorrow. And so he says, listen, you, when you see somebody dabbling and, and just caught up in sin, you go and you restore them in gentleness, in love. Not by condemning them, not by shooting them, bad-mouthing them, but by loving them and getting them back into the, to the way of Christ so that they're restored. And then he said, you know what, you're to bear one another's burdens. But then in the very next breath he said, you know what, carry your own burden. Well, that seems like to me it's saying two different things. How can you possibly do both? Well, Paul is saying, listen, you are responsible for yourself and the choices you make, and there's things that you should be doing But there also are times when we're so overwhelmed, we need brothers and sisters to come alongside of us to help us. And when that's the case, brothers and sisters ought to be there to help us. I have a friend, um, just recently, I won't call his name, um, was a, a pastor and had to resign because of some choices that he made and some bad things that he had done. Uh, he's no longer a pastor. Um, his family, I don't know if they'll end up divorced or if they'll reconcile, but it's a hot mess. And he was a pastor with somebody that I had a lot of respect for. And I tell you that there are some that are saying things about this man that they have no business saying, even if they're true. They shouldn't be saying and bad-mouthing and spreading gossip. And, but what we should be doing is praying for him. And I pray for this friend and still count him a friend. He's still my friend on Facebook. I still call him on occasion, check in with him and see how he's doing. That's how we're to treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, you be careful. Because you may be the next one to fall. So don't fall into those same bad ways. Don't you dare think you don't need others. Don't you dare think you're so strong that you don't need other believers around you. I don't care how strong you think your Christian faith is, you need other brothers and sisters in the Lord And that's why you cannot be the child of God that God created and intends for you to be without being part of a local Bible-believing fellowship of other believers. Can you be saved and get to heaven without being a part of a church? Yeah, I think you probably can, but barely. But I can tell you this, you cannot live the Christian life God intends for you to live without being part of a local church. You can't do it. You need others. And others need you. He 
So he says, listen, understand this, that it is only by grace that you are who you are. But understand this, that if you've received God's grace, then you better share it. And you better reflect it. And so he said, not only to restore, but he said to bear one another's burdens, to help each other out, even when it's convenient, and do good. Now, I want us to point something out here. When we've received God's grace, and Paul says to do good, I want to just a minute, who did he tell us to do good to? Did he say do good to just the believers? Look at your Bible. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. It says do good to all. In other words, everyone. As you have opportunity, as God gives you opportunity, you do good to everyone, but especially those of the household of faith. So he said you are to help everyone, but you're especially to help those who are the household of faith. That means we don't have right to say, well, I don't particularly like them. I'm not going to be good to them. You don't have that option. As a child of God, and if you've received God's grace, you have a choice to make. You either have to extend that grace to everyone, or you have to give that grace back. Paul reminds us, listen, God doesn't care how rich or poor we are. He doesn't care what color our skin is. He doesn't care how smart or how stupid we are. He doesn't care about the smart decisions or the stupid decisions that we make. He still loves us. And he offers us a better way. But Paul reminds us again, listen, that better way is out there, but we have to choose to receive it. But once you've chosen to receive it, and you've received God's grace, then you become obligated to extend grace to others. Especially those of the household of faith, but not only to the household of faith. So that means when we come across a Muslim, when we come across an atheist, God says, you've got to extend grace to them. But God, they're, they're an atheist. They don't even believe in you. Surely I don't have to be nice to them. God's word says, yes, you be nice to them. You extend grace to them. In our human mind, in our, we, you know, we, we excuse our sin and our shortcomings but we so easily want to point out everybody else's. We can easily see everyone else's. Can I tell you that God knew your shortcomings and your sinfulness, and yet he loved you enough that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. And if I or if you are the only one 
that Jesus needed to die for, he would have came because he loves you that much. But I can tell you, you ain't the only one. Every single human being on planet Earth needs salvation. They are guilty of sin. They have this curse of sin within them, and the only cure for it is God's grace. And that cure is freely available to anyone that will receive it. All they have to do is accept it. But once you accept it, you have to extend it to others. And then Paul lastly reminds us of another very important principle. What we share comes back to us. Paul reminds us here as he wraps up this letter, the law of sowing and reaping. He said, listen guys, listen gals, don't be fooled. What a person sows is what they're going to reap. And so he says, if you sow to flesh, if you sow to the things of this world, what you're going to get is death. You know what? Sin looks alluring and it promises you know, all kinds of great things. But regardless of whatever sin it might be, the result is always death. It is always negative. Because that's what sin is. It's a cancer that will kill and eat away at you. And the only cure for it is Jesus. That's the only cure. Now, there are some that received that message. They received that. And they're made whole. There are others that reject that. They say, I don't like that. Nah, that's not the way I want to do it. I, they're, listen, there are people may even show up to church on occasion, but they say, you know, I don't really want to be all in in this Christian thing. I'll, I'll go some, but I also want to be able to do what I want to do. I want to party like it's 1999. Some of you in here know that reference. So if you don't, I want to be able to, you know, live like the devil Monday through Saturday and come to church on Sunday and everything's just grand and glorious. I tell you, that's not the way it works. Paul said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What we sow, we're going to reap. So he says, if you reap to the things of the flesh, you're going to get corruption. If you sow to the things of the Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. What were the things of the Spirit? He told us what those nine things were that we talked about two weeks ago, the fruit of the Spirit. Things like love, joy, peace, kindness, self-control, gentleness, all those kind of things. Things that can manifest themselves in our self in our fle- only by the work of God in our life changing us and making us new. So why it's on you, you determine how much spiritual fruit is produced in your life. And you choose the quality of the fruit. It's up to you. It's not up to the preacher. If it was up to me, all of you would be glorious saints and 
You know, I never have to preach a sermon on sin, and I never have to, you know, say, why, oh, how could they make such a goofy decision? Why do they? It'd be wonderful not to have to do that, but that's not reality. Because all of us are prone to wander. All of us are prone to make bad choices. How we stop making as many bad choices is by making some good choices. By sowing to the things of the Spirit. Because when we're praying and we're reading the Bible, we're doing the things that God says helps us grow in Him. We're loving others. That pull of sin is a whole lot less. That pull, by the way, is still there but it's a whole lot less. And I tell you that Satan will until eternity, when Jesus comes back and clamps him up for good, he'll be barking at you. And he'll, him and his minions will be trying to get you off task. They will be shouting discouragement. They'll be you know, doing all kinds of things to try to get you to not do what God wants you to do. But can I tell you that when you're in church and when you're praying, when you're reading your Bible, the Spirit's voice is a lot louder. And because the Holy Spirit's voice is a lot louder, Satan's voice is a lot softer. We don't hear it as much. And it doesn't have quite the strong pull on us as it does when we're over there hanging out with him. So Paul says, listen, you do the things that God tells you to do, God will reward you for it. So he says, do not give up in doing good. Sometimes those heathen, those atheists that you're trying to love on will spit in your face and call you names. That doesn't mean you can write them off. You say, well, I tried, God, I'm going back to hating them. No, that's not an option for Eventually, Paul reminds us in other places in God's Word, so how is evil overcome? Not by stronger evil. God's Word says evil is overcome by good. And the good that overcomes evil, how does it come about? By grace. By changing me and changing you. And as our heart is changed and our lives are changed and become more and more like Christ, we see God do some amazing things. So understand that what you share comes back to you. Listen, you can reap to the flesh if you want to, even as a child of God. But can I tell you that a carnal Christian is the most miserable person on the planet because they know they're not where God wants them to be? And they know they don't have the blessings of God in their life because they're not living how God's told them to live. And so they're absolutely miserable. Well, the misery is their own because they're choosing it. How you get the joy back is coming back to the Lord by repenting, by receiving God's grace. Same way King David did it. Listen, King David was an adulterer and a murderer. 
I mean, those two pretty big sins. And because of David's sin, a baby died. His son died because of David's sin. And yet David cried out in Psalm 51, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Cleanse me from my wicked ways, and I will teach transgressors, he says, your paths. David knew. And I tell you that if you're forgiven and you've experienced God's grace, you know what it is to have new life. You know what it is to have peace with God. You know what it is to be forgiven. It's a great and wonderful thing. And so God's word says, so to that. Grow that in your life. And as it grows in your life, it's going to naturally spill over on others. And they'll find it as well. The reality is this, that we are as close or as far away from God as we want to be. God doesn't move. He's, the same, he's in the same place. And so we are as close to him as we want to be, or we're as far away from him as we want to be. The choice is ours. It's not his. His desire is for you to do what he tells you to do all the time. But because he loves you, he gives you free will. He gives you choice to choose it or not choose it. And what helps you choose it is by grace, by trusting in him and then choosing to do the things that God says, this will help you grow closer to me. And the closer we we. Uh, grow and get to Jesus, guess what? That means the further we are from that rascally old devil. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, we've had uh, a couple months now sermons about grace alone. That's the only hope any of us have. Lord, we'd be very remiss if we didn't give the opportunity to call on us to make a choice. Lord, maybe there's one here today, maybe there's one in this room, maybe there's one watching on Facebook or YouTube that's never trusted in you. God, we help them today to receive the great gift of salvation, this gift of grace. And they realize they don't deserve it. And they can't earn it, but you love them so much you want to give this gift to them. Help them receive it. And then, Lord, help all of us to remember two important truths. That it is, if we've received grace, we've got to share it. And the law of sowing and reaping, that we're going to reap what we sow. Lord, help us to sow spiritual things so that we might reap everlasting life. Lord, help us not grow weary in doing good. Lord, sometimes it is hard in this broken world to do the things we know we need to do. 
But Lord, help us to help one another grow in you. Help us to be your hands and feet. We pray this in Jesus. Now let's stand together. We're going to sing a hymn invitation. There's a decision you need to make today. This would be a great day, and this would be a great time to make that decision. Well,